At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? My name is Ryan. Uh, I am privileged to be here with you again today. I was here a few weeks ago as we were looking at 1 Timothy. Uh, we were looking at chapter 1 and 2 then. We're going to be looking at chapter 4 now. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And as you're turning in there, I just want to draw your attention uh, briefly, if your attention's not already on it, um, that there is global tragedy going on right now. How many of you have maybe watched the news this week and seen what's happening in Turkey and Syria with a massive earthquake, and it seems like the death toll just continues to rise every time that we turn on the news. Uh, I want to just encourage you, we're going to uh, be praying throughout the service, and we'll close in prayer uh, this way, but today at 1.30, can everybody just say 1.30? We have a missionary in Turkey, his name's Scott, um, and he's hosting a global prayer call at 1.30 p.m. today. So we just be in prayer for Scott, be in prayer for the ministry that's going on in Turkey and Syria, be in prayer for God moving in miraculous and mighty ways that maybe we can't see. We see a lot of outward physical destruction, but we know that there are things going on invisibly on the inside as well. So just pray for Scott at 1.30 today, but let's keep that in our minds. And as we just sang that song, right, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all there. He paid it all here. He paid it all for me. He paid it all for you. Let's keep that in our minds. So again, as you're turning to 1 Timothy chapter 4, um, I wrote a couple introductions to the message this week, and I'm not going to preach either of them. Uh, usually when you hear a preacher say that, you should get nervous. <laughs> um, I'm going to go off script a little bit. But I think, uh, you know, as we kind of have a regulative and normative way, we preach the Bible here at Woodside Bible Church and many other Bible-believing churches all over the world. I'm grateful for it, and it's not wrong. So hear me say that. It's not wrong. It's not wrong that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we get to stand up and hear the Word of God preached and sit up under its authority and its ministry, and we praise Him for that. As we were praying this morning, Elder Joe uh, said that this building's been here 53 years, and that's been going on every Sunday for 53 years here. Hallelujah. I'm grateful for that, right? And hopefully it continues to go on for decades and decades beyond that or until Christ returns. Uh, but when this letter was written, Timothy did not open the letter and say, that's enough for today. I'll wait till next Sunday to read the rest of it, to hear what it is. How many of you ever received a letter from a friend? Oh, my, wow. I was like, we need to have a gift card ministry here or something. Like one hand went up. I'm like, I'm sure more of you. I'm sure Joel has written more letters than that, right? Uh, but you don't often wait a week to figure out what comes next in the letter, do you? Especially when you're hurting. Especially when you're going through some difficulty. Timothy was going through some difficulty. Timothy was probably hurting because his spiritual father, the one who had showed him the truth, Paul, had left him in Ephesus, the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time, and a place where it was a little bit messy. Timothy's church had some mess in it. So I want us to just kind of look at this letter uh, as a whole letter, right? That it didn't have chapter and verse when Paul wrote it originally, but this is a letter where, yes, there are regulative principles for what uh, a biblical man and woman's profile looks like. Yes, there are regulative principles for preaching the word, and we see that coming out here. There's instructions for the church, but I think 
you know, I'm, I'm a dad myself, and if I knew that my kids had crazy stuff going on in their life, the, the heart and spirit I would write a letter like this from is a heart and spirit of help and a heart and spirit of encouragement. And I think that's what Paul is doing to Timothy. He's saying, son, be encouraged. Don't give up. Keep the faith. Hold the gospel. Do all these things, but you cannot give up. And I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to know that help is here for you. And as Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, he kind of goes through some uh, he compares some realities that exist that seem contradictory one to another. He, he kind of compares the reality of apostasy or people that have gone back on the faith, departed from the faith with godliness. He compares the reality of devoting yourself to silly myths and devoting yourself to truth. He compares the reality of God setting things apart, consecrating, sanctifying things. God literally taking something and setting it aside and saying, this is special over here with the reality of people setting themselves apart, standing, departing from, standing on the outside of the Christian community and looking in. And I think that for Timothy, as a relatively young pastor, right, he's somewhere in his late 20s or early 30s, I don't know if that would be young today, but it was young for Paul as he wrote this letter. I think Timothy's struggling a little bit, and I think Paul knows it, and I think he's trying to encourage him. So I pray today that just as this letter was written a couple thousand years ago uh, in what is now Turkey in the city of Ephesus, uh, and they were in need of some encouragement because there was some stuff going on in the world around them, I pray that just the same today as we are all in need of encouragement because there's stuff going on around us all over the world. There's, how many of you came in here with one issue on your mind? Whoever didn't, I will gladly give my microphone to you today. I need your help, right? I need to hear from you if you've got nothing on your mind today, right? But we all came in here with something today, so I pray that this lands on us with encouragement. So we're going to look at the whole of 1 Timothy chapter 4 today, but really the section uh, of this letter is the end of chapter 3 through all of chapter 4. Paul spent uh, all of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3, talking about what does a profile or a picture of biblical manhood and biblical woman look, womanhood look like? What does it look for qualifications of church eldership and deacons and deaconesses? And he, and he goes on that, and these verses kind of serve as a bridge to address false teaching again, right? When I was here a couple weeks ago, that's what Paul was addressing, and we're here today. It's what Paul was addressing because it was what was going on in the community. So for Timothy, for Paul, for everybody at the church of Ephesus at this time, this letter was heavy, but it was meant to be received with encouragement, encouragement to hold on to what really matters, encouragement to not give up, encouragement to know that if we want to keep the faith, we have to watch our lives and our doctrine closely. That's the big idea for today's message. To keep the faith, you must watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. And Paul warns Timothy of three major dangers. The three major dangers that he's warning him of are apostasy, deceitful demonic spirits teaching, and that turning into false teaching. Now, these are three big deals, right? This is a big deal for Timothy to deal with. But again, Paul offers encouragement here. I want to read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, kind of open up to see what Paul's saying to Timothy. He says, now the spirit this is the Holy Spirit of the living God, the spirit of truth, expressly says that in later times, or your version may say latter times or last times, it really kind of uh, communicates the same idea. In later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Right? That sounds pretty serious, right? It sounds like a, a good cause for a letter to be written to someone that you love. So Paul is writing with the idea of encouragement and help, but he's, I think, also trying to tell Timothy as he gets to at the end of the letter, here's the other part of this framework. Here's kind of the closing to it. We open with this warning, but verse 16, the last verse in chapter 4, Paul closes by saying this. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. 
Persist in all of this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul, somewhere between verse 1 and verse 16 in this letter, he's offering encouragement. How could he get from, hey, the Spirit is telling you that there's going to be teachings of demons to keep up, keep at it, keep doing what you're doing. It's going to be okay, right? So a lot happens between verse 1 and verse 16, and that's what we're going to look into today. We're going to look at this deep encouragement that Paul offers to Timothy, and then Timothy, in turn, is to offer to the whole church, and I pray that we're encouraged by that today. Now, it opens with Paul saying, the Spirit says that in later times, people are going to depart from the faith. Now, that word is apostasy. That's a word that maybe you've heard before. Maybe if you haven't heard it before, you know, I I always would like to say that you need God's word more than you need my word. So please read the Bible for yourself every day of your life. I promise it won't return void. God said so. Uh, But apostasy, and we need a little bit of cleaning up here, I think, because I think it's a word that gets thrown around a fair amount. That just because somebody makes a mistake and they're a Christian, that doesn't mean they've apostatized. That doesn't mean they've walked away from the faith. That doesn't mean that they're no longer a Christian. Apostasy is a willful theological departure that usually is evidenced by moral departures, but a theological departure saying, this is no longer my community. This is no longer my faith. I do not believe in this anymore. And as Paul says, departing from the faith... Paul most commonly used the phrase, the faith, to not just describe the thing that we mentally assent to that we agree upon. It's the faith is us. The faith is this. The faith is the Christian community, a way of life that we have all committed to live according to. So that's what apostasy is in Paul's day. And for us, again, I think we throw that around a lot. And I don't have time to preach the doctrine of eternal security or the perseverance of the saints. But I believe wholeheartedly that if Jesus Christ has saved your life, that you can't do something that's going to make him not save your life anymore. I I believe that wholeheartedly. I think the Bible says that as well. But also, I'm not going to, we don't have time to get into false conversions or any mess like that, right? If somebody belongs to Jesus, that's between them and God. Amen? A couple people are kind of excited about that. Uh, Why this is important. Paul's warning Timothy, but he's also giving him help and encouragement because I think he knows, right? Paul was a man like we're men and women here. He's a human being. And you know how disorienting it can be to your life, to your family, to your household, to your neighborhood, to your community, when these types of things are going on. And I think he's telling Timothy as a relatively young pastor, like, don't give up. You got to keep going. He's telling the church body, don't give up. You got you to keep going. Yeah, things are hard. There's crazy stuff going on here. But he's telling him these things. Why? Because I don't think any of us want that to happen in any of the circles that we're in. We don't want to see apostasy, uh, deceitful teachings of demons and false teaching swirling about in our church, do we? No, okay, we got three or four no's. That's really good. We're, we're on the right track. We're, everybody's going to say no by the end of the message, I promise. Or some people, maybe by a show of hands, you won't respond no matter how many questions I ask. Okay, yeah, there's some good people. I got 20 bucks. Anybody want to raise their hand? <laughs> right, yeah. I know, I get it. It's okay. But Paul's saying, like, you don't want this to happen, Timothy, in the church that you're pastoring. You don't want this to happen in your community. And perhaps even most frighteningly so, you don't want it to happen to you. You don't want to go through this in your own life. Paul's primary goal, in my opinion, is to help. He just wants to help. He wants to help Timothy. He wants to encourage him to keep the faith and not depart from it. And what he's saying is how we live because of what we believe really matters. How we live because of what we believe really matters. 
You know, as we just read verse 16, Paul says, you will save yourself and your hearers. He, he's not, you know, forgetting the great doctrine of faith that he wrote uh, in, in throughout the rest of the New Testament. The, the gospel hasn't changed. You can't save yourself by your own devotion to the faith. Amen. No one can save ourselves by our own work and effort. But he's saying that you may, like, protect yourself, protect those around you from falling into these things. So to keep the faith, watch your life and your doctrine closely. How? Thank you for asking. Uh, three ways is what Paul is going to give out. They're on your bulletin. You can take notes if you'd like. Three ways to keep the faith by watching our life and watching our doctrine closely. The first one is that we affirm what is good. We affirm what is good. Hallelujah. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. We'll read verse 1 again and make our way to verse 5. It doesn't sound like affirming what is good, but we'll get there. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Verse 2. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is an amazing verse, an amazing set of scriptures that Paul gets from uh, teachings of, dem of demonic spirits to everything made by God is good. This is how we need to have this kind of ethic on our lives, friends, affirming what is good. He doesn't want Timothy to be thrown off by this. He doesn't want Timothy to be caught off guard by this, but to outline these three dangers. But he also wants to tell him, like, here's what you should do about it, right? That you should know that there, is, there are these things that are going on. Those who have departed from the faith, apostasy. How does that, where does that come from? It comes from demonic deception, demonic teaching. That's the only way that someone could depart from the faith is if they've been confused or led away or drawn away. And then how does it actually flesh out in a community? It says that he, it flows freely through liars whose consciences have been seared. That's how Paul writes about this, right? It sounds really, really serious and maybe like something that you've never encountered in your life before, but I promise you, you have. You've encountered something like this in your life before. This all stems from one place, the distortion of God's word. God said something is, and somebody else says it isn't, right? Where does that come from? It comes from the same place it came from the first time, right? Where did it come from the first place? Hath God said. Did God really say that you wouldn't die if you ate of that, right? It's the same idea. It's the same deceit. It's the same deception over and over and over and over again. Does the Bible really say that? Did God really mean that? We see this all over the place. Deceitful teaching is just a distortion of God's word. What Paul was talking about in the first century is um, asceticism. Now, we won't spend too much time on asceticism. I won't nerd out on you too much. But asceticism is essentially right, uh, removing physical indulgences to gain a spiritual good, right? Now, that sounds a lot like fasting, doesn't it? That, that is a good thing. Asceticism is taking that way beyond that into the extreme. Maybe you've heard about like some desert monks in the early first century right, who wanted to learn quietness, so they put a rock in their mouth for three years. You've heard about this? Or uh, a guy who wanted to uh, say, I don't need any human comfort, so I'm never going to eat food that's cooked again. Uh, or a guy that said, I don't need this kind of human comfort, so didn't take a shower for four days, or excuse me, for four years. And the legend says the bugs died when they landed on him. Now, I, like, I don't know how that produces spiritual good. Maybe it did, but I doubt it did. It sounds kind of weird to me, right? But basically what this is, is taking things away in your own legalistic strength 
to try to make God love you more or want you more or bless you more, right? Like, and when we do things that way, friends, it's broken. That, that process is totally broken. And that's what Paul's addressing here. He's saying people that have forbidden things that God has actually allowed, people that have forbidden things that God has actually allowed, that's broken, right? How many of you are grateful that God has not forbidden marriage? Gosh, okay. All right, hold, hold on. I'm gonna, we're going to try again. If you are a man and you are married to your wife, and you have any interest in watching the second half of the game tonight, I, I want you to say amen real loud, okay? Like, how many of you are grateful that God has not forbidden marriage? Amen. There you go. Well done. I'm trying to give you guys points wherever possible, right? Like, I'm, I'm here to help you, right? We're here to help. Same as Paul, right? I'm just a spirit of encouragement here. God gave us this as an amazing gift, and also foods that God hadn't forbidden, right? God, after the flood, he said you could eat it all, right? You can have steak now, right? Praise the Lord, right? Now, there are certain pieces of wisdom that need to be implied, applied to this as well, right? If you have high cholesterol, like a, a pound of bacon a day, probably not a great idea, right? Like, listen to your doctor's wisdom, things like that. You can't just be like, well, God said, right? And Pastor Ryan said it, uh, so give me the bacon. No, like, you got to apply wisdom to your life. But you, you get the picture here. You get the idea. Taking things, allowances, and creation that God has made to be good and received as good and saying, I'm not going to do that so that God will like me more or love me more or bless me more. That's not religion. That's legalism, friends. That's not a relationship with God. That's legalism. That is how you get to this holier-than-thou type of person. How many of you know a person like that? Not in this room, but you know a person that is holier-than-thou. And what happens is they become holier-than-God in their minds, that they are stricter than God on their own life. God said you could do this for good, but they say, no, 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 I'm not going to do it for good, and you're going to look at how powerful my will is, God, and you're going to in turn bless me. No, that is not the gospel. That is deceitful teaching. That's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, no, 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 no. Affirm what is good. Look at how beautiful this stuff is, and how this comes out is by liars whose consciences have been seared. Now, this word seared uh, comes from a Greek word, and in the English, it's cauterized, right? Uh, a wound gets cauterized, or something that's bleeding gets cauterized so that it will stop bleeding and so that there will be a numbness and so that it wouldn't function the way it's supposed to function anymore. So Paul's saying that these people's minds who have apostatized, walked away from the faith, in fact, the, the word in, implies, the root word, the, the root Greek word is apa, like it is to forcibly remove yourself or separate yourself from something. They have forcibly separated themselves from the faith, Christian community, and believed in this deceitful teaching of demons. Their consciences have been seared, and now they're lying to the church community. That didn't just happen in first century Ephesus. That is going on alive and well all over our lives. Right? How many of you have social media? God bless you. That's my time. Like, that's, that's all you just pay attention, right, to what's going on, distortion of God's word. This is the nature of every false teaching, taking God's word and twisting it, taking God's word and distorting it. Well, God didn't really want you to have that, or he didn't really mean that. And this is what Paul's telling Timothy. He's like, God created everything for good. Anything can be redeemed as good if God created it. Hallelujah. You know how I know that? I'm here. You know how you know that? You're here. Right? And if you looked at your life, and I think that this is one of the pains of the Christian church, and I'm, I'm glad I got a clock up here because I'm, I'm really excited today. Uh, we don't give people time. We don't give people time to process their life. Like, when you accepted Christ, were you the perfect Christian at that moment? No. How many of you are a perfect Christian today? <laughs> right? Like, none of us. But 
if God created it, it can be redeemed for good. It's a great spot to just like yell hallelujah. I don't know, just I get excited about this stuff, right? Like to say God can, can take anything he's created and it can be used for good. And that's what he calls his people, us, the church, to do. To affirm what's good. To affirm the goodness of God. To affirm all the things that he's created and given to us and blessed us with that unfortunately we have the, the habitual nature of abusing those types of things. But it doesn't have to be that way. The things that God has given us, he's given to us for our good, for his glory. By the word and prayer, everything he's given can be exalted for the glory of God. And how do we learn how to do this? How can we actually do this? It's by becoming so familiar with the genuine that you can't stand the counterfeit. Become so familiar with the genuine of God's goodness, of God's creation, of God's word, of everything that he's put for our good in our lives that you say, no, 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 Satan, no. No, no, that's not my God. That's not my Jesus. That's not the word. That's not Christian community. That's not what I'm going to hold on to, right? And I think that when we live like this, affirming the good, Man, our lives are just better, even very practically. Like, how many of you ever just woke up negatively one day? You're like, I'm mad, right? And does your day, are you just like, man, that's a great day. Going down in history is a great day. Now, I'm not saying God can't redeem a bad day, right, when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. But when you're up and you're early, when you're up early, like I was up early this morning, I, you know, I usually wake up pretty early. I'm, I've always been an early guy. I'm, I'm like useless after 7 p.m. though, so it's not virtue. Uh, like my, my daughter, she's two, she woke up super early and I was expecting to just have some time in the word. And I wasn't like, ah, how dare you, child, wake up and ruin my alone time with God. I was like, thank you, my daughter's here. I want you here with me. And now did things go to plan? No, they didn't. I spilled oatmeal on my Bible. And I was not pleased, right? I'm like still, I'm still bitter about it. I'm still working through it with her. Uh, but there was a beauty in affirming what is good. God gave me that. It's, it's good. She's good, right? It's good. So I, I, can, I can be on this forever, right? First Corinthians, Paul says it to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church was messed up. And he says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's the type of people we're called to be. That's how we're supposed to live our lives, even in the midst of demonic teaching, even in the midst of false teaching, to affirm what's good, to say, you know what? Yeah, somebody's twisted this, or that might not be really what you know, we're, we're, we're really aiming towards, but my God is good, and he's given me good things to enjoy, and I'm going to speak life and affirm that which is good. That's what Paul's calling Timothy first, that you can watch your life, you can keep the faith by affirming what is good. God gave us the potential to glorify him in all things. Everything can be redeemed for the glory of God. Government can be redeemed for the glory of God. It didn't land in the first service either. I just thought I'd give it a try. But most of you are not ready to go there yet. Uh, that's okay. I'm still new here. Uh, everything. Isn't that amazing? How many lost causes are in your life? None. How many things are too far gone for God to save? Nothing. None. We are to be a people that affirm what is good. Can you see now how this is encouragement? Even in the midst of bad news, Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Everything God made is good. And it's meant to be received with thanksgiving because it's sanctified, consecrated, set apart, made other than by the word and, and prayer. What an amazing power God has. And what an amazing power by the Holy Spirit of the living God in us we get to have. So Paul, he, he tells Timothy, you got to affirm what is good. And then he kind of turns the corner into what are you going to do about this? Like, what should you really do about this? Point number two is to train ourselves in godliness. First, we affirm what is good. Then you know what is good. And then you train yourself in godliness. And how do we do it? Verses 6 through 10. 
Paul says to Timothy. If you put these things, everybody say these things. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained, amen, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Point number two is training ourselves in godliness. Paul is encouraging Timothy, affirm what is good, but then you got to train yourself in godliness. And why we repeated these things is it shows up eight times in the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus. These things are the trustworthy sayings that, that Paul allows to show up. Like godliness shows up 15 times in the New Testament. It shows up like 13 times in the pastorals and nine times in First Timothy, right? So this idea of these things in godliness and these trustworthy sayings are linked together. So Paul's saying, if you you put this kind of stuff before your people and before you, it's going to go well, right? That's what he's saying. Like, here's sort of a formula for what we should do. We should put good, beautiful doctrine in front of ourselves and in front of our people, and that's how we get trained in godliness. We, we can keep the faith by watching our life and watching our doctrine, by teaching God's word out loud, by hearing God's word out loud, by reading the Bible just out loud, like just having the word of God read in public. That's what Paul tells Timothy to do here, right? It's, it's a good thing. Now, it has to be done by affirming what is good first, right? Like even the right tools in the wrong person's hand can really screw the job up, amen? Okay, like people whose consciences have been seared. Even defenses of the faith by someone whose conscience has been seared can be a dangerous thing. It can be a very dangerous thing. So Paul says, put these things before everybody. And then he says, here's, here's two ways, right? It's really kind of one way, but two sides of the same coin. Stay away from myths. Stay away from, and the, the word in, in the Greek is old wives' tales. Stay away from old wives' tales and pursue godliness. Stay away from myths and pursue godliness. Now, what does he mean by myths? And uh, some translations would say Jewish myths. You heard a couple weeks ago about endless genealogies and things that lead to no fruit. Basically, I think what he's saying is distractions, right? Stay away from distractions. Affirm what is good, but stay away from distractions. And I think all of us can resonate with what distractions look like in our lives. Wherever it is, wherever you go, somebody already said something about social media early. Somebody called out Instagram, right? Like, stay away. I'm not saying social media is all bad. It's here. It's good. I believe that God allowed it to be here. Affirm it, right? Don't use it wrong. Amen? Amen. Right? But affirming what is good, training ourselves in godliness by putting these things before us, staying away from myths, the things that will distract us from the good and beautiful, holy God and pursuing godliness. Now he says bodily training, which is very important in first century Ephesus, right? There was a deep culture of exalting athletics in the first century of Ephesus. This Greco-Roman world where the Olympics came out of and, and these athletic training events were really important. A lot of people paid attention to them. And if something was going on, like I could imagine they were sharing, like, did you hear about, you know, I don't know, George's javelin throw, right? Like, I don't know, maybe that happened, maybe it didn't, right? But uh, this pursuing physical training is of some good, but pursuing godliness is good in every way for this life 
and the next. Now, this word training uh, is a, a word that is gymnasio. Does that sound pretty familiar to you? Gymnasium, right? It's the same way we get this English word from. And it's the same word for discipline. Being disciplined, training according to the things that we're supposed to be training towards godliness. You know, I think about today, tonight, and I'm, I'm a sports fan. I'm a, I'm a big sports fan. I really have to work hard not to make every illustration in the sermon something about sports. Um, the Super Bowl is tonight. There's 50, 53 man rosters, 106 men, and then, you know, the rest of the staff and coaches and training staff, probably a thousand people associated with these two organizations have put forth an unbelievable amount of time for today, like for this moment, playing football in middle school through high school for college, you know, to get to the Super Bowl, to play for this moment. And I'm, it's entertaining, right? It's amazing to watch God gifting people with unbelievable skills that I do not possess and watching it and being entertained by it and just the, the art and the beauty and, the, and just the form of sport. It's great. I'm not knocking sports. I'm not saying don't watch the Super Bowl, right? Husbands are like, I thought you were on my team. Like earlier, we, were, we had something. But could you imagine 106 men putting an effort toward training in godliness? that these 106 men put forth in training for the Super Bowl. The entire world would change, friends. Jesus did it with 12, and they only trained for like three years. Could you imagine just this room? And I'm not saying don't continue to pursue being good at your job, developing professionally, developing personally, developing relationally. All those things are, are good things, but how much time and effort and sweat and toil and strive, as the words Paul uses, are we putting towards our training in godliness? You're here. Praise the Lord, right? Hallelujah. You came to church on Sunday, and I'm not making that a small thing. That's a big deal. You're here on purpose, most of you. Some, some children, I'm like, you're like, again, you're like, no, nah, he doesn't get me, <laughs> you know? But you're here. So what are, what are we doing, though? Are we training in godliness? Are we here because we're supposed to be? I can't answer that for anyone here. You can answer that before the Lord. And if you ask him and invite him into that conversation, he'll talk to you about it. Because you're not being trained by your own legalism. Like, I think that's where we get hung up on it, right? We're, we're not trained by our own practice of the spiritual disciplines. We're trained by God's grace. God's grace is our personal trainer. The word is the training program, right? I, I've been a pastor for a while, and every time I've asked somebody, how's your prayer life? It's the same answer, almost universally. Could be better, right? That's what almost everybody says. And, I, and I'm like, well, really? Like, could it actually be better? Maybe God just has you right where he has you, and you're exactly as mature as you're supposed to be, and maybe you're doing it completely right. But there's no grace available for that in, in most of our lives. How many of you read the Bible enough I knew zero hands would go up, right? Like, no hands. Like, that was, that was a free pass, right? I'm like, yeah, God's grace. But, like, think about that. An entire room full of people at church on a Sunday. None of you said you read the Bible enough. My hand didn't go up either. Why is that? I think it's because we have a whole lot more of this own man-made personal training in our hearts and our minds than we'd like to believe. God's grace is our personal trainer. 
the word is the program. How do we train in godliness? Not by the amount of effort that we put in. Now, we're supposed to be devoted to it. We, you know, God's not going to miraculously do it for you, right? Like, if you're hungry, right? Now, God may have been able to provide the food that exists in your refrigerator, but how many times have you said, I want a sandwich, and you open your mouth and a footlong falls in, right? Like, you got to put in a little effort, too. God's the one who gave you the ingredients. He supplied it all. He made you able to do it. So you got to work with him, but he's the one who provides it all, but you, you got to work with him, too. This is how we train ourselves in godliness. And I, for the sake of time, i gotta, I got to move on. But verses 8, 9, and 10, I, I, spend some time reading for yourself. Spend some time reading verses 8, 9, and 10, this trustworthy saying, this epigrammatic saying that Paul makes in verse 9 about verse 10. It's just amazing to jump into. And there's all kinds of resources and tools available for you at Woodside. There's a whole sermon series, message series, life group devotional series called Habits, where we talk about spiritual disciplines. That's available to every life group. You can look through all these things. It's tons of resources are available for you. But as we train ourselves in godliness, we can only do that first by pursuing that which is good and affirming that which is good and knowing what's good. And then Paul tells Timothy point number three, and it's the same thing we need to look at today. And it's not super profound, but it is super productive. Point number three, we're consistent in our devotion to the scripture. Let's read verses 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. Hallelujah. What an encouragement. Let, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch, close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. As Paul continues this series of encouraging helps to Timothy. He basically just turns the corner into the ministry of the word. Now, I believe personally that the prophecy that was spoken over Timothy as the elders laid their hands on him was a call to preach the gospel, that he was called to preach the gospel. Now, I think that certain people are called to preach the gospel in different ways. All of us are called to witness the, to the gospel. Amen? Everyone in here, if you're following the Lord Jesus Christ with your life, for all of your hopes, that you're called to be a witness to the gospel. Now, not everyone in here is necessarily called to preach the gospel in a specific way, but we are all called to live it out in our lives, preach it. And that's the other thing that Paul addresses with Timothy where he says like, you know, yeah, you, you shouldn't neglect the gift of the prophetic word that was laid on you, but also just live it. Live it out. Live it out in your word, in your speech, in your conduct, in your act, in your deed, by love, by faith, by purity. Live it out. That's the best example of preaching the gospel that you have to give, Timothy. And it will even go against some of the people that are detracting from your ministry. And that's what's going on. Paul wrote letters. I don't think Paul often wrote letters as like predictive letters saying, here's what might happen. I think in most cases he wrote letters. We see it in the, the church in Ephesus where he says, I heard word. This is what's going on. So he wrote a letter to address it. Same thing with the church in Corinth. I think it's the exact same thing that's going on with Timothy right now. I think somebody was dogging on Timothy because he was too young. You know, I was, I was listening to a, a great preacher. His name's Tony Merida. Uh, and he said at his first church, he was 28 years old when he got called to the senior pastorate, and a woman came up to him, and he was shaking hands, and she said, I'm not going to shake your hands because I've got socks older than you. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, lady, like, have, you need to read this stuff. Like, this is good. But, you, you know, Paul's saying, don't let anybody despise you because you're young. You know what you can do? Live it. Live it out. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young people think you are. It doesn't matter if you don't have the right pedigree. It doesn't matter if you look one way or another way. If you're living out a biblical example, 
even people who want to speak evil of it, they're going to they're gonna have to say, like, no, nah, I can't. Like, that, that's what's going on. That's what we're supposed to be, friends. That's what church is supposed to be. Church is not a place. It's not a time. It's not a building. It's us. It's all of us. And as we collectively live this out with the encouragement from Paul to Timothy, to his congregation, and by proxy to us, by the Holy Spirit of the living God, to us as believers, as Christians, we're called to live it out. Our lives are supposed to look like it. I, I preached a funeral uh, last year, and I co-preached it with another pastor, and he stood up and he said, don't ever let a pastor preach your funeral. And I was like, we may be out of jobs, man. <laughs> like, what, what's going on? But he said, if you're relying on another man to preach your funeral after you die, to tell about your life after you die, you didn't use your life the right way. You preach your funeral by living your life, right? We live out the example of what we truly are and who we truly are and who we're truly following and who we're looking to be more like. We're all called into the confirmation of the image of the Son of Jesus Christ. And through his life, through his teaching, through the affirmation of what's good, through all of these things that Paul is calling Timothy into, Timothy's calling his congregation into, and then we're being called into by the Holy Spirit of the living God, that this is the example. This should be the distinction that people look at. Not what we believe about a certain proof text or not. They should look at our life and say, wow, that's, there's just something different. That's a whole lot like what I think Jesus might look like. That's a whole lot what I think Jesus might sound like. That's a whole lot what I think like grace being poured out onto me when I know I screwed up. When you know you made a mistake. Most of us know very clearly when we make mistakes. We don't need somebody else to tell us you made a mistake. right? Now, some of us are a little slower than others. I'm, I'm part of that. Just have a couple of hands go up. You're like, hey, man, we're in this together. But we need grace. Grace in our hearts. You know, there is no substitute for devotion, right? We've already talked about that. Like, we're called to be devoted to the Lord. If it's the thing you love more than anything else in this world, you will be devoted to it. Right? That's, Jesus is really clear about that. I can tell you what you're passionate about. Just show me your checking account, right? Just show me your receipts. I'll tell you what you're passionate about. But a lack of devotion to the scriptures, and I, I got to say this, a lack of devotion to the scriptures is just as dangerous as any false teaching. A lack of us being devoted to Jesus is just as dangerous as the most liberal of theologies, is just as dangerous as, you know, whatever politician saying this, that, or the other. When we're devoted to the good and we live it out, we won't stand for the counterfeit. And people around us will be like, no, I know what community space like. I know what Jesus is supposed to feel like because this person loved me when I was down, because this person wrote me a, a card when I got sick, because this person, even though I know I screwed up and I cut them off, they said, it's okay, you know, I've, we've all been there. That's the type of people that we're called to be. Now, Paul is giving Timothy really clear instructions saying, hey, there's mess going on and you got to confront it. But you confront it by confirming what's good. You confront it by training yourself in godliness. You confront it by committing and devoting yourself to the scriptures. Because when you do that, then you're able to rightly see. Then you're able to say, no, I'm holding on to the good and the beautiful, the true, the just, the pure, the righteous, the holy. All that stuff, I'm holding on to it. I know what it looks like. And it's coming out of me by the grace of the Holy Spirit of the living God. But how do we do that? And this is kind of the final how as the worship team comes back on stage. And, and this may not be... Um, the most profound thing you've ever heard from a pulpit. Uh, you may not write this down. Nobody's going to tweet this. Read your Bible. Like, that, like, that's it, literally. 
The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it discerns you. It reads you as you read it, is what the Bible says about itself. It discerns you, and it's able to get into those nooks and crannies of your soul, things that you didn't even think you could divide, bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It gets in you when you read it, when it's read over you, when you listen to it. I even believe when it's open, when it's open, you're looking at it. Now, there's not like some, you know, uh, Shekinah glory that glows out of the pages. But if it's open and God can use a word, you could see one word and it could be the word that his Holy Spirit wants to imbue in you that moment. Read your Bibles. All of us together. Set aside 30 seconds, five minutes, 20 minutes, two hours a day. You know, and I've gone through all kinds of reading plans, right? How many of you have read the Bible in a year, gone through that? reading plan how many of you have ever read the bible in a year and it's felt legalistic we did it wrong right like that's that's what it is right that, you know there's different ways to do it like there's certain times where i don't have a reading plan where i just say lord jesus show me what you want to show me today and i'm going to open your word and i'm going to trust that you by the power of your holy spirit is going to help me to get exactly what i need instead of clicking buttons on bible gateway <laughs> right like actually what i need that's what paul's telling timothy he's saying just hold tight to the word brother and he didn't have the New Testament compiled. Hold tight to the word. Why do we do all this? Why do we talk about this? Why, why does this matter that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy with, with all this mess that was going on in Ephesus? Why does it matter to any of us today? Because at the end of the day, all of us in the body of Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, we desire to be a church made up of people who keep the faith. We desire to be a collection of people who watch our life and our doctrine closely. Notice how Paul didn't tell Timothy, watch somebody else's life and doctrine more closely than your own. That if you can affirm what's good, you can devote yourself to godliness, you can devote yourself to devotion, deep devotion to the scriptures. That's when stuff really begins to come alive in our hearts. It's when stuff becomes, begins to come alive here, and there's already so much good stuff going on here. Like, it's my second time here. I'm not here to talk about me, but it's just a great group of people that God has called together, that God has brought together. Now, any group of people that God has called together is going to go through stuff. Amen. How many of you are people? Oh, that's not again. Man, some people, I'm just not, I'm not going to get a hand. That's okay. I brought my own amens. Remember the spirit of Paul as he's writing to Timothy. I think he just wants to help him. He just wants to encourage him. He wants to tell him, here's what it is, here's where it came from, here's what you can do about it. But the heart of my letter is I love you and I want to help you to not fall away. I want to help you to keep the faith. I want to help you to be devoted to the scriptures. We're going to sing a song together that's more than just words on a screen, right? That, but the, the refrain is, is simple. It's take my life and let it be. That, that's our prayer today. That we're saying, God... We affirm what is good. We want to be trained in godliness and we want to devote ourselves to the scriptures. So you take my life and let it be because I can't do it all by myself. I need your help. So would you stand with me as I close in just a brief word of prayer and we sing this song together? Our Father, we want to say thanks. In the name of Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for even allowing us to go through the pain that we've gone through because we know that some things don't get birthed until we've gone through enough pain. So I even thank you for that today, that you're teaching us, you're training us, 
that your word is the training program, your grace by the Holy Spirit of the living God is our personal trainer, and you will lead us exactly where you want us to go, but we've got to meet you in devotion. We've got to meet you in diet and exercise. What are we consuming and what are we doing with it? That's the staple of every training program, diet and exercise. So I pray that we're being nourished by the word and we're exercising the gifts that you've implanted into us by the Holy Spirit of the living God. So God, please, simply take our life, each of us, all of us, and let it be whatever you desire. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.